We thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for meeting with us. And Lord, we just pray that we, myself included, would just be open to what your spirit wants to do this morning. And that would re- we would receive you and the message and the encouragement that you want to bring. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, um, last week, Dr. Rubio spoke. He did a very good job, and he did that so I could have a turn teaching the elementary students and caring kids. I always point down that way because they meet down that way. I'm not, like, pointing to the field. <laughs> um, and that was so good. That was just, it just blessed my soul to be able to do that, so I thank you for giving me that opportunity, and I'm going to the Caring Kids Kickstart. I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm going to be there because, honestly, I truly believe one of the most worthwhile investments of my time is to spend with the young people, investing in them. And so I'm excited about that. I hope many of you are there after the service as well. We have just two weeks left in our series on the book of James. Two weeks. Is that like, yay, we're almost done, or like, yay, like, everyone's like... Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> okay, so James, it's it's this letter that was written to Christians to teach them how to lead themselves well during hard times. And the first chapter of James, it kind of just gives an outline of how to lead ourselves well during hard times. It also outlines some ways that we sabotage ourselves. And then chapters two through four and a half are like a deep dive into how we sabotage ourselves. And reading those chapters is like, ugh. You know, because James, he just holds up this mirror. He's like, this is what you do. And it is so clear that we can't deny it. It's just like, oh, yes, we do do that. But then the last half of chapter five, James holds up this different picture. And it is a beautiful picture of what we can do instead. And it is so beautiful and hopeful and very encouraging. And that's what I'm going to talk about next week. (laughs) Um, But today, today I just wanted to revisit the main answer James gives us of how to lead ourselves well during hard times, and then look at what Jesus says about it, okay? So we're actually going to be reading quite a bit of Jesus' teachings today. But um, first, open your Bibles to James chapter 1. If you grab a Bible from the basket, it's going to be marked with a post-it note from you. For you, sorry. And I just wanted to take one more look at this because this is going to set our trajectory for the next eight months at Caring Community. Next eight months. Okay? So, this is important. Writing to Christians who are enduring difficult times, this is what James says. Verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work 
so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I heard, I read an Arab proverb this week. It said, um, the land of constant sunshine is a desert. The land of constant sunshine is a desert. We need those dark skies, those rain clouds, so that we can grow. Verse 4 again. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Don't know what to do during those storms? Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. It's that easy. God will give you the wisdom to know how to persevere through the storms. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And then he goes on and and describes some of our unstableness, how we look to material things that are going to corrode and pass away and and won't last. And and how we're drawn to things that we see that we think are so good. But he says, don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Everything that is good and perfect comes from God above, right? And he says, when we're listening to God's word, when he's giving us his wisdom, Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Sometimes we don't like what God's word says. (laughs) Slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God planted in you, which can save you. I hope you have this next one memorized by now. Do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, immediately goes away and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James had a very high view of God's word. A very high view. He called it the perfect law. That God's word was perfect. And he says that it gives freedom, which is kind of the way we don't think about laws that way. We think about laws as hindering freedom. But he says God's word is a perfect law that gives freedom. And that when we know it and we listen to it and we follow it, we will be blessed. James wasn't the only one who had a very high view of God's word. So did Jesus. For those of us who are followers of Jesus and we say, you know, I love Jesus and I want to be like Jesus, you know, and you're wearing what would Jesus do bracelets and stuff like that. That's that's wonderful. If you want to be like Jesus, do you value God's word like Jesus did? 
Jesus knew his Bible. <laughs> he knew it. His Bible was the same as your, the Old Testament of your Bible. All those books marked Genesis through Malachi. That was Jesus' Bible. He didn't call it the Bible because English and Latin hadn't been invented yet. But um, the, the word Bible, it's just from the Latin term biblia, which means books. That's it. So when we say this is the Bible, we're like, this is the book. You know, this is the books. It's this. Well, the ancient Jews, like Jesus, they said, this is the law and the prophets. That's what they called it. Meaning this is God's law. And this is God's prophecy about what he will do in the future. And Jesus believed it was absolutely 100% true and authoritative. He knew it frontwards and backwards. He quoted it constantly. He applied it to every situation, every time somebody asked him a question. You know, he quoted the Old Testament. He based his life upon it, his whole life mission. He didn't disagree with it or doubt it or even the hard parts. Like Isaiah that said the Messiah, him, he would have to suffer and die. Jesus wasn't like, well, that's not relevant for today. (laughs) He based his whole life on what the scriptures said. I want to credit John Mark Comer for helping me string together these examples I'm going to show you, okay? Some of you are smiling because you like him like I do. Um, But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's his name for the Bible. Your Old Testament. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That word abolish in the Greek, it's, it's a word that means to tear down a building. Um, it's like to deconstruct. That would be the trendy way a preacher would say it now. Don't think that I have come to deconstruct the Bible. I've not come to deconstruct it and pick it apart and decide what parts are relevant and what parts aren't. I've come to fulfill it. Which is strange that he says that. That's not what I would say. That's not what any conservative Bible teacher would say. I would say, you know, I've not come to deconstruct the Bible. I've come to teach it, obey it. Right? But Jesus doesn't say he's come to obey it. He says he's come to fulfill it. Meaning the whole Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, it all points to him. It's all about him. And it's completed in him. The next verse, Matthew 5, 18. He goes on and he says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, by any means disappear from the law until it has been accomplished. Jesus had a 100% belief that everything in the Bible was true and was going to happen. His problem wasn't with the Bible, but he did have a big problem with how people interpreted and applied the Bible. Next verse, listen to what he says. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called what? The least 
in the kingdom of heaven. I'm telling you, you can build a great religious kingdom here on earth, teaching the Bible the only the parts people want to hear. But Jesus says those people will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever in practice, whoever practices and teaches, you got to practice what you preach, right? Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't have a problem with the Bible. He had a big problem with religious people who taught others to disregard portions of the Bible. I, w- I want to give you some examples. Um, in Jesus' day, all of God's people claimed to be devoted and following God, right? But they had different groups that interpreted the Bible differently. On the far right, you had the Pharisees, very conservative. On the far left, you had the Sadducees, very liberal. All right, I'm going to start with the Sadducees. I'll get to the Pharisees in a moment. The Sadducees, they were highly educated. Think like Ivy League. Um, they were urban. They lived in the cities, especially Jerusalem, the capital city. Um, they were wealthy. They were very involved in politics. They partnered with Rome to, to rule over the Israelites. Um, and they had a fairly low view of scripture. They believed in it, but only in the first five books that were written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's all they accepted. The rest of it, they're like, eh, it's not relevant anymore. And even among those five books, there was some things that they were like, eh, they really didn't believe in the supernatural. Like, they didn't believe in angels and demons. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, that there was going to be an afterlife. Which fits a worldview that is focused on building a kingdom here on earth. Like if you're focused on how successful you can be here on earth, why do you, why do you need an, another life? An afterlife that you can't control, right? So they came to Jesus to test him, to show him how wrong he was. And this is what happened. Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 26. Then the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, they came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses. Now they, they, they believe Moses, most of Moses. Moses wrote for us that if a man, man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. That sounds really strange. Um, <laughs> let me just, quick explanation. In a society where there's no government welfare, okay? A widow's only option was usually prostitution. And this was God's way of not only financially providing for widows, but giving them family. It was really quite beautiful. That was at the heart of this law, was to give widows family. So the Sadducees, they quote this to Jesus. And then they give him the hypothetical of all situations. I mean, this is just, this is just hilarious. Okay. Now there were seven brothers. Seven. The first one married and died without leaving any children. You can already guess where this is going, right? The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. 
The last of all, the women, the woman died too. At the resurrection, and you can just imagine the smirk on their face. Because they don't believe in the resurrection. And they're going to use Moses to prove that there's no such thing as a resurrection. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures and the power of God? I just want to let that sink in. Just hear what Jesus says. Are you not in error? Because you do not know the scriptures and the power of God. And then he goes on to answer their question. And this is, this is what he says. When the dead rise, they will neither marry or be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. You know those angels you don't believe about? <laughs> yeah. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses? That's what they did actually believe. The book of Moses and the account of the burning bush, how God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living You are badly mistaken. Jesus says you're in error because you do not know the Holy Scriptures. You do not understand them. You do not know how they fit together. You do not know how to apply them to your lives. You do not know them. And because of that, you're badly mistaken. And your life is void of the power of God. Now... On the far right were the Pharisees. And they looked like the opposite of the Sadducees. Because they were deeply devoted to Scripture and knowing the Holy Scriptures. They studied them all the time. They had their kids memorize it by the fifth grade. Like the Old Testament of your Bible. Memorized by the fifth grade. They were like homeschool network extraordinaires you know like they had it down and they also had all of these other rules that they added onto scripture to help ensure that none of them would break any of the rules in scripture and and jesus called these things human traditions the pharisees um tend to come from more rural areas where the sadducees were more in the cities the pharisees were also political Cutting out. Here we go. They believed that if they could just obey God's word and drain the swamp of those religious elite liberal people in the capital city, then God would make their nation great again. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what they believed. The Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. It is so true. It is so true. And this is what Jesus says to them, to the Pharisees, in John chapter 5. He said, you study the scriptures diligently. And that's a good thing. It's great that they were teaching their kids. You study the scriptures diligently. But Jesus had a problem with why they were studying the scriptures. Because 
you think that in them you have eternal life. In other words, if you study the scriptures, you think that they will give you what you most want. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Some, let's read the next one. I do not accept glory from human beings. That's, that's an interesting statement. Jesus says, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Some people study the Bible diligently, but they miss the point. They just miss the point. Have you ever known someone who knew the Bible so well, but did not have the love of God in their hearts? Jesus goes on and he says this to them. But do not think... Oh, you put in some extra verses that I was going to skip. That's okay. He says, I have come in in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. Keep going. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from only God? And then he says this, but do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. At the resurrection of the dead, when you stand before God the Father, don't think I'm going to accuse you for not having the love of God in your heart. No, it's not going to be me. Your accuser is going to be Moses, who you set your hope on, who you study all the time. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. You see, the the Pharisees studied scriptures not because they wanted to know God. If they studied scriptures because they wanted to know God, they would have recognized who Jesus was and accepted him. No, they studied scripture because they wanted to manipulate God. They thought that if they could just learn enough about God and how they worked, then they could do what he expected them to do. And if I do X, Y, and Z, then God will do X, Y, and Z for me. The Pharisees didn't want to surrender control of other lives over to God any more than the Sadducees did. They were just two sides of the same coin. The Sadducees wanted to be in control of their life, so they would disregard portions of Scripture they didn't like. The Pharisees wanted to be in control, so they tried to learn and do everything God wanted, so God would give them what they wanted. It's just two sides of the same coin. The Pharisees thought if they just obeyed God's law, they could manipulate God into giving them what they wanted. They didn't study God's word because they loved God. They studied God's word because they wanted to control God. Do you understand what I'm saying? People do the same today. All people want to control their lives. We all want to be our own God. And some of us are more like Sadducees. Some of us are more like Pharisees. Many of us kind of flip-flop in between. (laughs) When we're like Sadducees, we just conveniently ignore the parts of Scripture that we don't like. In fact, we make subconscious decisions not to learn it. 
And we'll say things that's like, oh, it's because I'm so busy or it's just not that interesting and it's kind of boring. And, and we make up all these excuses. But deep down, we don't really want to know what it says. Because we want to stay in ignorance and say, oh, I'm following God and I love God and really just do our own thing. And so we make subconscious decisions to stay ignorant about God's word. And sometimes we're more like Pharisees. When we diligently study God's word because our life isn't working and we want things we know we can't get on our own. And so we study God's word to figure out how to work the system. To manipulate God into bringing us blessings. My friends, have you come to the point where you trust Jesus enough to take the same attitude to Scripture as he did? To come to Scripture not for information about how you can get what you want out of life, but to come to Scripture for formation, to let it form you into the person God wants you to be. That's what Jesus did. He based his whole mission on what Scripture said. He let the Word of God form him. And we need to let it form us so we can be like him. Just want to share a few classic verses about the word of God. Second Peter one twenty one says, For prophecy, referring to scripture, for prophecy never had its origins in human will. But the prophets, though they were humans, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's why we call this the word of God. Yes, it was written and recorded by humans. But they were speaking and recording on behalf of God. Second Timothy three, sixteen through seventeen. It says all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training. We like that first word. <laughs> we like the teaching part. The rebuking and correcting is not as much fun, but that's why James says you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. God rebukes us because he loves us and he wants to correct us and put us on the path of right living, training and righteousness. That's all righteousness means. It means right living. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that's the heart issue I just want to ask you to grapple with today. Do you come to Scripture for information so you can justify your way of living and say, look how right I am. Yep, it says it right there. Do you come to Scripture so you can manipulate blessings out of God? Or do you come to scripture to let it form you? 
Do you come to scripture because you love Jesus? And as Jesus said, all the scriptures point to him. And so when we study scripture, we come to know him. It's how we come to know the one we love and become like him. In Romans chapter 12, it talks about being conformed into the image of Christ. And Robert Mulholland says this about that passage. The very thought of being conformed into the image of Christ clearly implies that we are to be grasped, controlled, and shaped by someone other than ourselves. And it confronts our deeply ingrained sense of being. Graspers powerfully resist being grasped by God. Controllers inherently are incapable of yielding control to God. Manipulators strongly reject being shaped by God. Information gatherers are structurally closed to being addressed by God. We have extreme difficulty in abiding and waiting patiently, just trustingly, perseveringly, as James talks about, persevering through the trials in order to be shaped by God according to his agenda. Genuine spiritual formation, being conformed, it reverses our roles. Our role from being the controller who shapes objects to then being the object who is shaped by the loving hands of God for his good purposes, who seeks to control us for our perfect wholeness. It reverses our habitual expectations for gratification and instead puts us in this posture of patient, open-ended Yieldedness. No matter what happens, we're not going to try to control it, the outcome. But we yield ourselves to what God is doing in that moment. Genuine spiritual formation brings about a fundamental shift from being our own production to being God's creation. John Mark Comer said, the, the greatest challenge of the spiritual life is to give up the illusion of control which is just another way of saying to trust Jesus. There's something about coming to the end of our vain attempts to control. To control our life, to control others, to control even God. There's something about coming to that vain attempt and just coming to Jesus in yieldedness and saying, have your way, do what you're going to do. I don't understand what the heck you're doing, but do what you're going to do, because I know it will be good. That is a pathway to peace and joy and healing and freedom. We can never have peace when we're trying to control things we have no control over. Last year, our focus was on prayer. And every month we had a different prayer. This next ministry year, we have one prayer. And that's, Lord, build our lives on your word. Our focus is going to be on yielding ourselves to the word of God. To value it as Jesus did. To study it and learn it. And let it shape us. And to be more like Jesus. 
So from October 1st to June 1st, we're going to learn the full story of the Bible. Because Jesus said it's all about him. It all points to him. So we're going to learn the full story of the Bible. Now, it's really hard to cover the whole Bible in eight months. So we're going to use a tool. And it's called the story. This right here. This is a condensed Bible. All right? What it does is it takes selections, main passages from the Bible, and divides them into chapters, and then adds summary statements for the passages that it skips. So this is what it looks like. It looks just like a normal book. See? Nice big print. That's Scripture. That's the same NIV translation that you find in the Bibles in your baskets, okay? But then, and you're not going to be able to see it, it has these little paragraphs in italics. That's not scripture. <laughs> Those are summary statements where it summarizes the scripture that it's skipping and helps you understand how this scripture relates to what you're going to read down here. Does that make sense? And by doing this, it basically highlights the main parts and helps you connect the dots so that instead of this Bible being like all these different stories, you come to understand the Bible as one complete story about God, about Jesus, and what he's done for us and how he relates to us and what he's still going to do in the future. So I'm going to ask you to make a commitment these next eight months to invest time reading God's word. And in, um, in these books, there's little bookmarks. And each week, I'm going to ask you to read one chapter. A chapter's on average about 15 pages, okay? There are audio versions available. They cost more than $5. This is $5, though, okay? All right. So the bookmark tells you what chapter to read when. Holidays, we have two weeks to read a chapter, okay? Um, but this is the journey we're going on together, all of us. And it's not just the adults, it's the youth and the children too. We have books for them as well. This is the preschool edition. You can buy one of these and read it to your kids. This is elementary, early elementary. I love this one. It has like the most beautiful watercolor pictures you've seen. But they have a chapter for each week. This is the upper elementary, middle school. Depending on your reading level, teens could easily read this as well. All right. Um, we have this for sale in the lobby. This is just informational, all right? This is for sale in the lobby. It's $5. You can pay with cash or check. Or we have QR codes. So there's little papers out there. You can scan the QR code and just pay your $5 online, all right? If you want, I hope you'll do this as a whole family together. The children's books, we just have samples. These ones are not for sale, Okay. But you can preview them, and then there's a QR code also that will take you to where to buy them on Amazon. This QR code also will take you to where to buy the audio version or the ebook version, okay? And that's all in the lobby. 
But for eight months, we're going to go on this journey together of learning the full story of the word of God. So we can value it like Jesus did and and let it shape our lives to be more like Jesus. So we can become more like the one that we love, the one who first loved us. James says, as any of you lacks wisdom, we should ask of God who gives generously, right? Who gives generously to all without finding fault. This is the proof of God's generosity. It is right here. All this wisdom. He's generously given it to you. He generously gives it to everyone. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? Pray with me. God, so often we doubt. We doubt. So often we doubt the good things you give us, including your word. We doubt it, God, and we doubt its value, and we don't place importance on it. Because we don't know what it says and we're scared of what it says. God, I pray that you'll change the posture of our hearts to your word. That we will treasure it as Jesus treasured it. And that we won't, will not come, including myself, God. I pray we will not come to your word with our agenda. But we will receive your word. So we can be formed according to your agenda, which is always good and which is always in our best interest. For you, you are the one who truly defines what is good, not us, God. I pray, God, that you would build in us a desire for your word. There will be times we'll be like, all right, yes, I'm going to read my chapter. And there'll be other times it'll be like, no. So God, we pray that you give us the desire for your word, that you will hunger and that we will hunger and thirst for your word. God, we pray that we will see your goodness through your word. And we will come to see it even as James did, as the perfect law that sets us free. We open ourselves, God, to letting you do this work in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, and in this church. And God, I don't know what it will look like eight months from now. I don't know all the things you are going to reveal and speak to us through your word, but we just open ourselves to it. 
Help us to continue to yield ourselves to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.